The first reading from Scripture is in the Hebrew Bible, the prophets, Jeremiah 31, beginning at verse 31. Listen for God's word. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. So, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The word of the Lord. And a reading from the epistles in the Apostle Paul's correspondence with Christians who were living in the city of Rome in the 13th chapter. Paul wrote, O no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law, the word of the Lord. And from the Gospels in John 13, the Gospel reading appointed in the lectionary for today, Jesus said these words to the disciples. Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation within each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Every installed Presbyterian pastor has written into the terms of the call to a congregation an allowance for continuing education. As the denomination with the most rigorous standards in seminary education, for instance, most Protestant churches do not require reading facility in both Hebrew and Greek, but the Presbyterians do. The Presbyterian tradition also assumes that walking out of a seminary with a Master of Divinity degree is not adequate. 
Learning must be pursued throughout the pastoral career. Most professions, law, medicine, education, for example, have similar expectations for continuing education. Clearly, any person who is committed to the ideal of learning as a lifelong enterprise, as opposed to simply seeing school as a series of hurdles to clear before one, quote, gets on with real life, any such person would hope to be a student throughout the course of life and that every student would find an inner motivation to learn, a joyous satisfaction in the pursuit of knowledge. As Dr. Clem Bridenhagen at Hastings College used to tell us, the study of history is its own reward. <laughs> And not only knowledge that is needed for one's job, but the pursuit of knowledge beyond the bounds of the career, engaging the mind in a, in a wide variety of subjects so that one can be a citizen of the world. Christians have, through the centuries, followed our Hebrew ancestors in faith in conducting classes in which persons can study the faith. There was a time in the early medieval period that this commitment was rather submerged beneath the gloom and superstition of the feudal era. But with the reformations, Christians reasserted the need to study the faith, to learn of God and the story of God's people that begins in the Hebrew scriptures. And so with the reformation, scholars began translating Bibles into the common language from the original Hebrew and Greek rather than depending on the old Latin Vulgate Bible. And so it was that a decree went out in the midst of the English Reformation that no one in the realm hereafter will be confirmed in the faith such as, but such as can say in their native tongue the articles of faith in the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments. That's in the Book of Common Prayer 1549. And we Presbyterians joined the other churches of the Reformation in establishing the rite of passage known as confirmation primarily as an exercise in Christian education. Today the creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments remain at the core of our Christian education program. Yet, knowing the creed and the Lord's Prayer, knowing all those stories in the Bible, does not does not guarantee an inner yearning to live as one of God's people. It is one of the really ironic conundrums of human life. Knowing what one ought to do does not necessarily mean that we will have the will to do it. This is hardly a startling revelation. The prophet Jeremiah knew it some five centuries before the birth of Jesus. And in his writings we see this prophetic yearning for a time when he envisioned a heartfelt compunction, an inner integrity when the Spirit of God within would provide for God's people such a pure motivation to know and to follow God that Jeremiah envisioned the educational venture itself becoming unnecessary. They will not teach one another. And he envisioned a culmination of God's purposes. We wouldn't need to tell each other, know the Lord, because we just would. 
know God, love God, serve God. Jeremiah hoped for the day when the law of God would be written not on tablets of stone or on papyrus, but in the heart. With the coming of Christ and the witness of the New Testament to Christ's mission, we have a new angle on the law of God that makes the hope of Jeremiah something to be lived out here and now in our own lives. Maybe not perfectly, but neither does the New Testament believe that the transformation of the human heart is only a hope for the future. It is something that begins a process which we call sanctification. The key is love. Everything that God does is rooted in divine love. Creation itself, the act by which God allows what is to become what is, is out of God's love. It is out of love that God created. The giving of the law to God's people, the Israelites, was not to give them obstacles or hurdles, but rather to give them a guide in the way of love. So it is that love is prior to the law. Jesus demonstrated this over and over again when he chose to set aside some provision of the Hebrew law to do a deed of compassion. And he taught this principle when he said that by this, the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Notice that he didn't say by this, the world will know that you are my disciples if your theology is all correct and tidy. No, if you have love for one another. And following the teaching of Jesus, the Apostle Paul wrote, as we heard in his letter to Christians in Rome, the one who loves has fulfilled the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. Now, the guidance of the Ten Commandments remains rather useful to Christians, as we face situations that involve an ethical question and we don't always have the luxury of time to ponder in that particular situation what love directs us to do. So in our dilemmas in life, we face circumstances just as Jesus did where keeping the strict letter of the law may also deny a higher and prior principle of loving our neighbor. Thus Jesus broke Sabbath laws to feed his disciples and heal the sick. He broke Hebrew hygiene regulations and reached out to touch lepers. Now, Jesus had studied the law, he knew the law. He was a real student of the Hebrew scriptures. And according to Luke's gospel, he demonstrated his prowess at interpreting the scriptures when he was just a lad of 12 years of age, holding discussions with the scribes in the temple in Jerusalem. But Jesus knew that the inner condition of the heart, a heart of love for others as God loves, is higher and prior. God's love within is the cornerstone of all that Jesus learned from the Hebrew scriptures. And without that love dwelling within, all the details gleaned from a study of scripture become trivia, just Trivia. We have four young people here today who will soon be making their profession of faith in God before us all. 
they have studied to prepare for this occasion. But what I pray for you, my young friends, is that this day does not end your time of learning, but propels you into a long quest to extend your understanding of what faith means in your own life, and that that quest will last your whole life. But even more than that, I pray that when you claim your faith today, you will make a wholehearted and inner commitment to allow the love of God to dwell within you. For if you live with the purpose of loving God and loving neighbor, your life will be a demonstration that you not only know some things that the church teaches about God and about Christ and about the Holy Spirit, more importantly, you will know God. I pray this for these confirmants. But I also pray that this would become true of each person here today, to let God's love dwell within us. And if we do, no one will need to teach us to know God because it will be evident that we do. Amen.